1: Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to Really with uh, Tom and Dave. And I'm not going to waste any more time, Tom, with frivolities and niceties. Because uh, we have an amazing guest today.
1: Yes, I've been waiting for this one since we started the podcast. Um, so let's just get right into it. Uh, Whitley Strieber is the author of over 40 books. Uh, the Wolfen, The Hunger, Superstorm, as the Day After Tomorrow, and Communion have all been made into movies. The Alien Hunter series became the sci-fi channel show Hunters. His website, unknowncountry.com, offers a huge array of stories. Podcast interviews in a large and active social community. His podcast, Dreamland, is in its 25th anniversary year. Uh, Whitley's most recent book is Them, Uh, available as a hardcover, softcover Kindle, and as an audiobook on Audible. So Them explores the phenomenon of close encounters with uh, UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, commonly known as UFOs. This book is a comprehensive analysis of the experiences of both civilian and military individuals who have had encounters with these phenomena. Strieber argues that the traditional frameworks of ufology and rejectionism are inadequate for understanding these experiences and proposes a new approach. Um, he also suggests that humanity needs to develop a better understanding of these visitors and find ways to make this relationship work. He argues this is crucial for our survival as our planet's ability to support us declines. And let us please welcome the man himself to really, Mr. Strieber.
0: Hello, sir. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Well, thank you for having me. And I am also going to be at the Conscious Life Expo at the LA Hilton the week of the 10th of February.
1: Oh, fantastic. That's great it yeah. will be in uh, our neck of the woods here. Yes, I was out in, there with
0: my with my friend um uh Paul Hynek, uh a couple of years ago.
2: Uh
0: he was doing some speaking there. I think you probably know Paul.
2: I don't think we've met, but I know no. of course of him and his dad.
1: Yeah. 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 I I on a personal note, I um I approached you at the Saul Foundation, <laughs> sir, um mm-hmm. just to express uh, it just feels like this for me. This is a conversation 36 years in the making because Communion had such an impact on me um, when I read it. I um, it, it really is. It kickstarted my interest in this topic, and this coupled with um, a very dear friend having an experience really kind of cemented my interest and, and fascination with this topic. And you were so gracious. I was so taken by it because I was a lucid dreamer at the time. And I had very intense kind of sleep experiences. Um, nothing, nothing that would necessarily be considered an abduction, but I, you were very gracious and returned the letter. My, you know, you know, wrote back to me, uh, which I just thought was fantastic and was very appreciative of. So, uh, after all this time, it's wonderful to have you here and have a chance to meet you somewhat in person. Um, but as it relates to letters, so you have them is now, um, a collection of letters, uh, in some ways. And your analysis of feedback that you've gotten through the years, um, part of this archive that your wife, Anne had put together. What tell us about your, your, your feeling like it was time for this book or this, this part of the conversation.
2: Okay. Well, the archive is what happened was after we published communion, a truly enormous number of letters came in. It was just remarkable. Hundreds of thousands. And I'm not just talking about 50 or 100 letters, but absolutely astonishing large numbers of letters. And I um, and read them all and organized them. And they're now at Rice University in an archive called the Archive of the Impossible. And they represent the, I think they were their first contact. I think that's what those letters are. And as much as so many people, the government and whatnot, would not like that to be true, uh, it is true. And um, so uh, uh, what happened over, over the years is we published a book called The Communion Letters a bit after Communion was published. And we, uh, it was um, contained 115 of the letters. And and little analyses of them, but we really—I didn't know as much then as I know now, not nearly, because I've been doing this now and with the visitors in my life now for most of my life, and um, I had when I I went when the archive was finished at Rice, I went to look through it just to see the letters all organized and everything. And it was such a wonderful experience because they'd been in a storage space in Texas for 25 years. And I thought they'd eventually just be thrown out by someone, you know, I I didn't know what, well, no one cared, but suddenly there, here comes Jeffrey Kripal, the uh, professor of religion at Rice, and he does care and he arranges this archive. And not only are my letters in it, but the, papers of people like Jacques Vallée and so many others are in it too. Now it's Mm. an extraordinary archive. In any case, um, I was down at Rice and I realized I can think about this better, a lot better than I could then. And Mm -hmm. I can really analyze this. I know more about what's going on. I understand this more deeply, much more deeply. And I found that I could apply that to the military situation, too, because I know now a lot about what's happened to the military. I've known many, many people in the military who have told me of their experiences. And now there's uh, material floating around about, uh, about this from the, the uh, Tic Tac and Gimbal videos Republic when I wrote the book. This was before David Grush come, came along. Mm. But there was so much more to do, and and I could I could create a, a an impression of them of the visitors that was real, and not a bunch of hui or uh, you know space brothers or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but real I, about this. Yeah, go ahead. I was, just, I
0: was just curious, like, what? How was the? Um... I mean, obviously, you're coming to it with a, a lifetime of perspective on the subject, and at this point, was the was the experience of rereading these letters with your new perspective was that a, a qualitatively very different experience from maybe yes. when you read the, the first time around?
2: Oh, absolutely, a uh, very different. And I could see deeply into the letters, and mm-hmm. I could see things like, um, well. Uh, uh, there were, and a good example is one a letter called the we call the visitors in the trees because it it's a letter about a from a, a member of a family who uh, they found these beings all around their house, including in trees and uh, and uh, it was it when we first read the letter it was sort of delightful in a way and we met the family Anne and I did and. Uh, we met some of them, not the whole family. We met the mother and I believe the father and maybe one of the kids. And they were just very straightforward people. There was nothing unusual about them. Uh, they were like the rest of us who were in this experience. We're just people, basically. We are not. Uh, we don't sit on any high horses. They seem to have avoided the high horse types pretty pretty carefully, mm-hmm. and uh, which I think makes them mad and is why they're still in a state of denial about it. Cause you know, they didn't, they didn't get tapped, uh, Mm -hmm. on the shoulder anyway. Uh, the it's experience starts with this strange sort of event where this, uh, uh, the daughter notices a woman in a red coat run into their barn. They were living in a kind of country situation on a side of a hill in a house and, um, and they don't think anything of it. Uh. They go down and look in the barn. There's nobody there. Then a little while later, the woman sees this man, this little man jump off of their pump house eight feet and go bouncing off into the woods. And that's significantly odd. And the thing builds from there. She goes to the store comes back and the kids are all in the front yard saying, there are little people up in the trees. And this builds and builds into an incredible experience. And I came to understand that when I first read it, I, I just thought it was a wonderful experience and it was exciting because there were so many people involved. In other words, there was a, mm-hmm. witnesses, a lot of witnesses and a two-day-long experience. That's, that's really memorable. But now I understood it, that these entities had carefully, step by step, made sure that this woman would be able to remember what was happening. Because now I understand a lot about the brain and about memory, because as you may imagine, I've studied the brain and I've studied memory assiduously now for years. And I know how the brain processes novel experiences. And when I say I don't mean going on an airplane for the first time, I mean, an experience that contains especially forms and sensory input that the brain has never experienced before at all. Right. And that is extremely hard to remember correctly, because what happens is the brain will find the brain, what the brain primarily does when it's looking at something, when we're perceiving the world, most of what is happening in here is relational. There's a, a huge relational database working all the time to fit things together. Mm-hmm. We don't even think about it. I'm not talking about big impressions. I'm talking about when you look at a TV screen, like we're, or a monitor, like we're looking at now. We know what that is. But what if something was there that you never that was not in your catalog at all? Right. Then you're going to have trouble knowing what's there. And what the being beings were doing was concentrating just on the mother so that she would remember the whole experience from beginning to end. And the experience has a, an incredible trajectory. It starts out with human forms. These two women uh, that are part of it that are having not that are not human or they are human and they have these kind of gold. Uh, unusual jewelry on, and it ends with them turning into these extraordinary crystalline forms. And what it's telling us is, you don't know what you are, guys. Mm. This is a, you, you know, you're 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 hiding from your truth. And I couldn't have said anything like that when we first published the Communion Letters, but now I can. Yes. Mm. No, so the you,
1: go ahead, Dave.
0: Oh no, I was going to say, yeah, that 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 they the experiences aren't just experiences; that they're an orchestrated and almost have a syntax of oh, their own. They have a, they're
2: communicating something. Exactly, they have a syntax, and it's often very subtle mm-hmm. and very complex and very rich. And the 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 uh, letters, I I think I go through eleven letters in the book and uh, explore all of them in terms of that sin- type of syntax, all 11 letters are just radically different from one another. Completely. One thing that, that cannot yeah. be is little men from another world, all in the same uniforms and the same belt buckles and everything, scientifically, scientists from another planet. That's not what this is. <laughs> I mean, if it is, they sure is very different from us in the way they approach their, their uh, scientific journey. But uh, it was revelatory to go back to the letters.
1: No, they're fascinating, and they are. The motives are so inscrutable, and I'm just curious: is that is that a a fault of our brains, or is it a fault of their methodology that these to, to divine what they want seems so
2: if, difficult? If you try to, if you try, if you have an ability to understand equations. And you try, my brother just the other day was trying to say to me, I don't, he said to me, I don't understand how equations relate to the real world. And I thought to myself, how can I ever explain that? <laughs>
0: if, if you can't, if can kid, you do now? Cause I've often wondered that myself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't it, understand. I that. came up, I thought to myself, what I can do here, is I go to the simplest possible is- equation, one over two, one half, and I, I said to him, you, "You that equation, one over two, you tear a piece of paper in half, and that's what express it. it's expressing. It's expressing halves, and it's expressing something about nature. Every equation is. Every, there's no such thing as a as a as a balanced equation that doesn't express something about nature. It's impossible. If it's not balanced, that's probably because it doesn't express something about nature correctly. Mm -hmm. But anyway, look at that in the simplest way. And they have a whole other level of being that they are very familiar with. We have almost lost touch with it in this world. We are so bizarrely confused about it, that it's almost impossible to even start. We call it in the West, we call it the soul. It used to be that we had many, many names for the different parts of it. The Egyptians had quite a few, three basic ones, but many, many others. And they they could feel this this inside themselves. But now when you say the word soul, people immediately think that's not real. I don't have that. That's not part of me in other words we're soul blind and that's the part of us that they're most interested in Mm -hmm. and it's complicated gets complicated too because it's not all good guys uh there's reasons where you might want to exploit that and uh that happens to us Mm -hmm. so You, you have a very it is
1: interesting you say that and the you talk about they're they're both Hunting us, and and they also seem to want us to know it, um, which seems kind of contradictory in some ways. But I I was maybe mistakenly under the impression that you had evolved to a kind of harmonious place dialogue with the visitors in your own life. Oh, very I much. Could, I could okay, so that, but but at the same time, they're descript, you're, you do you do overall sort of this is this is a pretty scary, uh, and. You, you don't attribute to like a real humanitarian thing here that this, this no. seems to be a selfish back and forth, or perhaps well, you can I, just I,
2: you're looking at somebody who's had probably experiences as bad as you can have with them. I have had horrible things happen. And with me and my wife, unbelievably terrible things have happened. And they have had a lot of physical reality to them they're they're not something anyone dreamed up this isn't about dreams and senseless uh imagining at all it's it, it has a it has a, a a very uh uh coherent context to it and it's not easy they're not easy to deal with and they do have uh ambitions here that i don't think we are comfortable with. I'm not comfortable with mm-hmm. at least. I mean, to give you an example, they take sexual material from people routinely when they do the abducted the abduction seemed to be kind of over. That was a period from the starting in the 1960s and, and peaking in the 1970s and then trailing off through the eighties and nineties until the early two thousands. It hardly ever happens. Uh, mm-hmm. but, um, they took a lot of people's sexual material and they took it again and again and again. They took fetuses, they took eggs, they took semen. And in a number of cases, including our case, we had two things happen. One is we had a fetus taken and two is after my semen was taken 11 years later, they suddenly dumped this little boy in our backyard who was just a, complete basket case he was a he was so autistic he was almost non-functional we couldn't get near him we didn't know what to do we didn't know whether he was a neighborhood child or not but we'd lost the cabin anyway and before we could could get this together we had to leave we'd, we we were broke and uh that all that was not also something that was done to us it wasn't a. It wasn't. Uh, it was a misfortune, but it was a designed misfortune, not by the visitors, but by people. And um, he followed us to Texas and began uh, living it, 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 in the condo where we were, and in, in the same place. And 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 he was he ended up with these living with these two men in a condo right behind ours. And they, that was not right. Something was very wrong. People began calling social services to try to get social services out there to see what is going on. And I, uh, called the owner of the condo and he said, there's no one living in my condo. And I said, I'm sorry, there are three people living in your condo and he had them evicted and before anything could be done to help this boy, if anything could have been, I suddenly he burst out of between two buildings and went marching off down the street. And we never saw him again, no one did.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, the two how, men, how old was he apparently?
2: 11 or 12. And the two men were in there, were oh my god, were adults. And it was a it was a mess. But this boy was no ordinary child. He could do things like he could get in your mind. You could feel him in there, and mm-hmm. it was horrendous, horrendous.
1: So this is too old. This is too young to be some. Because I imagine because comu- I mean communion was a book and your message and this. T- I mean I know inspires a lot of people, but could also inspire people into into you know wrongful behavior or maybe like they no, get overly was, influenced or this,
2: this was no ordinary this was not lord. a this was not a sort of stalking I, situation I this think a... he was my son i think he was taken from i think that seaman was taken the, from me and he didn't work out and so they just dumped him in my backyard oh my lord
1: um yeah and, that's you know,
2: this is this isn't going to be easy to deal with there's a reason the government doesn't want to talk about it but at the same time there's another side to it there's another side I could never be as knowledgeable or as richly endowed with spiritual presence as I have become without this experience, without them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that that helped me at all. But a lot of other things have helped me. And did, have, you,
0: have, did, did you have a religious or a spiritual sort of mindset before yeah. you know, these experiences? Or
2: I was a—I grew up a Catholic. And um, I'm still not completely, I, I I have a lot of trouble with the church's handling of those um, pederastic priests and stuff. I had an uncle who was a, an attorney for the church and ended up having to defend a lot of those men. For, and he, I got to know a lot about what they, what ha- happened. And that was unspeakably horrible it was satanic. If, I mean, if Satan exists, he, he, he invaded a lot of priests and the church let it happen. So I'm real careful about my relationship with the church, but that doesn't, I've written a book called Jesus, a new vision, which re envisions Jesus. And by the way, if you want to know what, what happened to the Roman empire, you can read that book because I figured it out very clearly and it's explained perfectly in there. It's quite clear. It's never clear. You know, people aren't clear about it. But uh, uh, the teachings of the good side of this other level of reality are really valuable. But you have to go for it. You have to take it. It will not, if you you sit back on your ass, this is going to do all kinds of awful things to you and it's going to eat you alive. But if you take control of it, and you, you are humble enough to pray, you're humble enough to live a really examined life, and to help others whenever possible. It changes.
0: Yeah, it it feels like there's a definite parallel between your experience and
2: knowledge of of the Catholic Church and your experience of the visitors? Well, the thing is that it, it, it's the teaching of Jesus more than anything. I don't think it's mm-hmm. so much the Catholic church, but that teaching has been so debased. I mean, you, there are people who justify all kinds of racism and and uh, uh, wealth gathering and things based on distortions of, of, of those simple teachings. But those teachings are much deeper, much more powerful than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, without, I'm not, I'm not in any way involved in any Christian organization, any evangelical thing or Catholicism or anything like that. But I am very much a student of those teachings. Mm -hmm. And I, I try to live them seriously try to live them every second of my life Mm -hmm. do you is there a way
1: uh, let me see how i can phrase this in terms of an experiencer you 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 received hundreds of thousands of letters as you stated when when communion came out that there was such a response which speaks to an unspoken need for that to, to yeah. be spoken. That, A reality. Uh, we th- yeah, we think of, you know, John Mack and and how he, you know, re- he concluded that there were so many more of these cases than we could fathom. He believed it was, uh, it was common even. Um, is there anything from your experience, for example, as I understand it and remember it, you did not initially see beings you your, your very first experiences i understood was it was just lights uh, or, or something that you needed to then further explore
2: i could be wrong but yeah, I just that's not quite right but let me yes what happened was this um i apparently had this experience when i was a child but i'd forgotten about it completely i see um which now that i know how the brain handles novel uh impressions like that i understand why but it, but uh So, uh, so there was no, you know. Eventually, they quit coming, and there there was no follow-up, and I, it just, just disappeared into my memory, beyond my memory, until I accidentally remembered it again uh, uh, when I was consulting with Dr. Donald Klein, the forensic, uh, the psychiatrist who gave me hypnosis. Uh, In any case, the the uh, uh, the experiences you you have to you have to be very proactive if you're going to make this work if you're passive it's going to eat you up and all of these people most of them i think do it well and that's the thing that's so surprising when you read the letters it's not a litany of one horror show after another i'm one of the most beat up ones that that there is and i thought You know, Annie and I would read the letters and she'd say, why do you get beat up? And the others don't. I said, I think because they're experimenting on me to see just how much we can take. Mm. And because it was, I mean, when I say beat up, I mean, beat up. I mean, I was uh, traumatized, extremely traumatized, and so was she. But other people, when you read the letters, have very different experiences. They have experiences so illuminating that it, it, I wouldn't say it's too small a thing to say it changes their lives. It changes their being. You know, it's like an ant dancing with an elephant. They might love each other very much, but they'd both be better be damn careful if they're going to keep dancing together.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are such, they're such different experiences. And I was wondering as part of that, uh, 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 is it with whether there are markers for people who may not have had such kind of extreme, like the Grand Central Parkway one, where these two people witnesses saw something extraordinary on the side of the road? You know, this ship flew overhead. But uh, I was wondering if there are smaller signs that someone might have been experience or that they don't know it, or is it something that they it shouldn't? Do you recommend they pursue that, or do you recommend that if it
2: hasn't really? come to them, let it let it be. Well, look, I, I have to tell you that I don't know how to answer that because I don't know how to pursue it. Um, The problem with hypnosis is that if you want something to be true, and you will make it true, and you will make your memory, you will Mm -hmm. you will build false memories very easily. Now, it takes Dr. Klein was not just a hypnotist. He was a psychiatrist and a leading psychiatrist He was the head of the New York State Department of Psychiatry. Not only that, he was a specialist in forensic hypnosis mm. and had at that point in his career solved 72 criminal cases using it by, by enabling people to remember things like license numbers. Now that's proof positive that he, knew what he was doing, when it, but most people, when they, the first thing they do is they'll go to some well, a UFO, someone who's in the UFO movement who who does hypnosis. And they're already telling themselves, I want to mm. find out that I was abducted. And they're going to, they're going to build a, a story. And maybe it's a true story. But the problem is, you can't know. Mm-hmm. You can't know whether or not it's true. It's like uh, remote viewing. I get all these things that are remote viewing, the visitors and this. And that's wonderful. Maybe it's true, but there's no no baseline of fact. And in my case, there was, uh, uh, because we had, and it turned out uh, that there was another man who saw it happen, saw it happen to me. And he's not in any of the books because he came along too late uh, i think i might have mentioned him in uh, a new world but about a year after the communion experience he came up to the door he was a neighbor and he and his wife had been driving home the night that it happened about two o'clock in the morning and they saw what they thought was the goodyear blimp in in a field near our houses and he thought they thought, my God, that shouldn't be there. We better stop and see if we can help them. So he got out of the car and climbed the fence and was walking toward it, and he heard screaming inside of it. And he started running toward it because he thought there were people hurt in there. Whereupon it turned on all these lights and made a growling noise and started coming toward him. And his wife, uh, of course, freaked out because she was seeing this and... He said, it scared me, too. And he turned around and got over the fence again and got in the car and drove off. And he said to me, Whitley, I'm just so ashamed. I've read this book now. And um, uh, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't help you. And I probably could have. And I said, no, you couldn't. The smartest thing you ever did was get the hell out of that field. And I'm glad you did, because I don't know if you'd be here if you hadn't. That's so, remarkable. That's wow. remarkable. So someone was there. Yeah. And then I get this implant in my ear and all this stuff. There's plenty of physical proof that it really happened. Sure. Yeah. Plus, people came to the cabin and they would come, the visitors would come and meet people at the cabin. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so
0: I guess that's important to point out though for people that because you talk about this these experiences as being a form of communication, but they are solidly physical experiences?
2: Well, sometimes they are, and not always. In fact, even not usually. But the important thing is this. We've had a sea change before David Grush came out. I had heard about bodies. General Arthur Exon told me, uh, no, I correct that. He told me about the materials. He told another relative about the bodies, uh, which he had seen. I. we it, did i bring him up in this before i don't think so okay well general exon and one of my uncles were at the air material command attached to air material command at wright field in 1947 when the roswell materials were brought in and uh, uh i found out after i published communion they basically said to me you know we've got something we'd like to talk to you about and They spilled the beans about this, and I based my book Majestic in part on what they said, my novel about the Roswell incident. It's a novel largely because, uh, you know, I had no documentation. In any case, uh, they... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They, um, General Exon told me that there had been bodies and he, not me, told my relative and he said it was, he had held one and it was like a big insect was what he said. And, um, then David Grush comes along and he says that there are biologicals, that we have biologicals. And that's a sea change, because prior to this, of the David Grush confirmation, and uh, uh, General Twining also told his son that he'd seen bodies. Uh, but, so there are physical beings involved in this. And they are there. There's ultimately, the, and, but here's the question is there fundamental reality, the physical world like ours, if ours indeed is, or is this something they kind of dip into like a scuba diver going underwater? Mm -hmm.
1: I, yes, I think that's been, was one of the very uh, kind of interesting aspects of the, of like the soul foundation discussions. I was curious what your impressions were of that, because it feels like there's this, there has been this, um, increasing comfort with discussing the uap phenomenon as it has been kind of adjusted to talk about air, aerospace safety and we're going to call them uaps now and not you and we're going to remove some of the stigma and we're going to do but i'm i'm how do you feel the experiencer movement or the ex, just that phenomenon is fitting into this new dialogue and are you satisfied with well, where where it is
2: i i think i'm satisfied with where it is yeah i'll say that to begin Um, it, I was not allowed to ask to speak at the soul foundation. And so I asked questions instead to, to make the presence of the experiencers known. And I know Gary Nolan pretty well. We're, we're friends. I consider him a friend, a good friend, in fact. And, um, we talked about it and he said, the problem is that there were a lot of people at that conference who simply wouldn't be comfortable listening to the, an experiencer talk because they are not ready to deal with the idea that there might be somebody coming out of these things. And, you know, I understand that. And we have to take it step by step. The next conference is gonna be in Washington. And once again, I don't think experiencers will be involved. And if experiencers are involved, I'm thinking that it might be someone soft first because there are people with softer experiences than i've had mm-hmm. you know i'm the kind I of guy who you know i'm like a roach i mean you pound him into the ground and the next thing you know here he comes out again from behind the couch and that's you're swimming sort of, in the deep end of the pool you're uh, you're right, uh yeah. exactly that's that's me i mean i'm yeah. the kind of guy that they can be confident that they can beat the shit out of and i'm not going anywhere basically mm-hmm. Uh, yeah but that's not true of most people they'll run like hell
0: yeah I mean I can understand that this is the pragmatic concern of well how do we broaden the number of people who are paying attention at all to the phenomena
2: well i'm um, I'm very torn about that i I think that i think that if we if we sugar it a bit and let the the people who've had or have memories of good experiences start the the dialogue it might work better but i think it might be a mistake because it seems to me that we need to face the we need to face this thing and if if it it, 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 maybe it would be okay to edge into it but uh rather than the experience or narrative starting the the a relationship between our intellectual community and scientific community and academic community in this experience, it would be better if there could be some substantive, uh, something more substantive. And it's possible to create that. Uh, Using an fMRI machine, that's a functional MRI scanner, which, which does MRI scans while the person is using their body or brain you can determine how the brain is assembling memories when you are, the person is in in the fMRI is asked to remember things and the brain stores memories of physical events differently from its, from it's the way it stores dreams and imaginary things and confabulations, even though those confabulations may be believed by the person as Mm -hmm. true you get someone like me in a scanner like that. And you ask them careful questions, you that would take a while to get the questions put together correctly, and probably a number of sessions to do it. And but you will eventually get up to the point where you have a picture of what the brain thought was physical, experienced mm-hmm. as physical that came in through the eyes the ears the nose the sense of touch and so forth and what the brain put together on its own and Mm -hmm. i think that's the kind of place to start and it's fascinating gary Uh, nolan is sort of doing things in that area he is and uh he's I've, i've talked to him about this of course and he agrees that it's something that we should do but um, I think I'm gonna be the one that has to raise, the, figure out how to get the money, and I'm gonna to go to him and say, "Look, Gary, we've got a million dollars to do this, so let's do it." Yeah. And if you don't have time, give me a good uh, neuro, neuro neurolog, neurological biologist who does.
0: Yeah, and, and I well, I know he's done a lot of looking at the, the caudate and how it's has. how its relative development seems to correlate to people who have. Um, Paranormal experiences are people who are more likely to see things out of the ordinary. Did, did, That's right. Has, has Gary checked out your your
2: your, your uh, my brain was Damon. checked out by uh, Kit Green who works yeah. with Gary, yeah. and um, Kit said, that, "Well, th- let's be let's excuse me let's go let's get let me fill in a little bit." Yes. The area between the caudate and the putamen is part of the executive functioning of the brain. That that is to say, the part of the brain that's organizing experiences. And this, uh, there's white matter, There cells journey uh, between the the two areas, and they communicate between the two areas. And the denser that is, the richer the communication, and the more uh, complex the person's perceptual system is. And most people have a more than adequate. It's a really good system. I mean, built up in us, and uh, we're ours are much denser than the the, the ones of a, say a gorilla. But uh, some people have an even denser system, and th- th- those people begin to perceive things that b- the rest of us don't. And that they and they, they these are the psychics and the the people who have, uh, coherent memories of close encounter experiences and things like that, because these things are apparently happening at a, some kind of a, uh, a level that, uh, doesn't, um, the, the, the brain doesn't usually draw impressions from, I, I, I think that's a, a good way of putting it. My case is slightly different. I have a higher than normal uh, the density, but not as high as the densities of some of the experiencers that they've studied. Uh, But the thing that was so surprising about it to kit was that it was unique. The, The structures don't look like normal brain structures at all. And there are There are connections between the two, the caudate and the putamen, that are unique in his experience. And he's studied an awful lot of brains in his life. So I was left thinking to myself, um, hmm, what does this mean? Yeah, I'll tell you one thing it does mean is this. uh, I cannot go near hallucinogenic substances. I have had one experience in my life of being in a room where there were people smoking marijuana and you know i mean that's not a big deal it's not considered a major hallucinogen by any means but what happened to me was that i was in there for about five minutes talking i couldn't stay in because the smoke was just thick and um i this is back in the 70s and in new, we were living in new york at the time and all the next week, I kept when I was walking back and forth to the office, I kept seeing myself pass me in in the street for and for the whole week. And Annie said, "It's that grass that you were in that room. You should never go near it because uh, you uh, uh, you're obviously very sensitive to it." So the next weekend, we went to another party. It's a much more staid party and a beautiful. Uh, condominium on West End Avenue in Manhattan and I effusively complimented the hostess on the goldfish in her lampstands she had these big glass lampstands and Anne says to me we're going home you're still high there are no goldfish in those lampstands Whitley and I could still see them even when she said there were none there I was (laughs) tempted to ask the woman if Anne was pulling my leg but then I looked again and they weren't there anymore and so we went home so,
1: Goodness. obviously,
2: as Annie put it, at least we don't have to worry about paying for any hallucinogenic drugs. Because yeah, you yeah are we're going to hear t- one in your head. We're, we're going to your- take you
1: off the DMT <laughs> list, I think,
2: for now. Yeah, I but don't here's think- the thing is it something in here that's triggering these super dense hallucinations? so intense that they can actually cause physical injury because my rectum was injured i i struggled with the pain from that for 20 years i was under medical uh, i i had medical had to have medical care for it for 20 years Mm -hmm. so it was not it was not not real it was damn real and this thing is certainly real and is it still in the the
0: implant is still injured right here
2: yeah right here i feel it right now and um it's active. I mean, it, it turns on all the time. And the, I use it all the time. I use it the, in my research. What's the sensation of it turning on? Gets hot.
1: Ear gets yeah. hot. Oh wow! And, uh, yeah. So you, you had said something about earlier about that, that the abduction cases were tapering out in the thou, you know, in the, uh, yeah. the aughts I'd say. And I, and that mm-hmm. reminded me that you, you had this, you had this, um, in the book, you talk about three phases of contact. And uh, can you can you describe what you what you mean? Or what the theory is
2: behind that? Well, I think that the easiest way always to think about a thing like that is to turn it around and say, Okay, we're the aliens, we find a planet where these poor Duffers have never left their planet. They don't know a darn thing about the rest of us in the universe. What are we going to do? And the answer is we're going to do a lot of things. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to prescribe any direct contact with them because we're going to want to do two things. First, we're going to want to identify and understand their cultures in situ. In other words, without them knowing about us, because they, we would understand that their awareness of us would change their cultures completely. Uh, Number two, we are going to want to understand them, and that starts with their biology. And that would mean we would be sampling them. And if we thought that there was a chance that they were going to go extinct, and we may have seen this happen to other species, intelligent species. In fact, it might be a very common fate for intelligent species. We might think, well, we're going to, as a side project, We're going to build a genetic image of them and the other creatures on their planet so that we can reconstruct it somewhere else if we have to. And what am I telling you about? I'm telling you about how the visitors relate to us right now. All of those things are being done. Mm -hmm. So now that we know that they are physical entities, maybe we are dealing with people from another planet. Mm Mm-hmm. In which and, case, I only want to know one thing: how the hell did they get here?
1: Mm-hmm. I know, me too, um, and and you think there's an uptick in in that activity now? Is it? Do you feel like it's a it's an awareness growing, and that we have more means of recording sightings, or do you uh, feel our like awareness
2: it's a- is is growing now? But they are not, and I think part of the reason our awareness is growing. Is that they no longer need us to not know about them? They've done the the the, the genetic uh, all of the genetic uh, sampling that they want to do, and, and you know they couldn't do that if they if we'd known about them. People would have been there would have been a terrific kerfluffle here about you know what the hell? I'm not having aliens coming in my yeah. house and taking my taking taking stuff out of my body. You know yeah. I'm got my yeah. guns. We're gonna have a twenty four hour guard etc. People would not have tolerated that. It had to be it had to be secret then. And, you know, there's some kind of connection between the visitors and the government because the, the secrecy was kept even though I think they knew what was happening. And the reason I think that is uh, David C. Webb who was a, a uh, NASA guy and uh uh, uh, very involved in intelligence work he he, con- a spa- he consulted in, uh, in on space matters with every alphabet agency there was and where did he show up at our cabin he ended up coming to, he ended up coming into our lives somehow or another in 1986 and used to come up to the cabin and spend time with us and uh, have dinner with us in the city and there was no question he knew this was going on. That mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't question for a minute. And he was so encouraging to me. He said, Whitley, keep going out there. Keep doing it. And he implied one time that there wasn't anyone else in the world who had ever gotten as close to them as I have. And he, I, I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but, but the point is this. Back in 1986, the government knew damn well this was going on or he wouldn't have been there. -hmm. Therefore, they must have known before that. Therefore, there was never anything they could do about it, and that would probably explain a good deal of the reticence and the secrecy.
1: Yes. Do you you think that? that. Yeah. Do you think that was a a professional approach to sort of just get to know you and study what was going on and just to get a better sense? Or do you you think that was? was.
2: It wasn't social. I mean, we didn't have any social connection to him whatsoever. I've, I have forgotten quite how he. Oh, and he gave us, gave me an allergist, who gave me allergy shots to take for two years that suppressed the effects of being touched by the visitors, and they gave us epinephrine injectors to fill the whole, put in the whole cabin in case they affected people who came there, and that that happened. Raven Dana had a major allergic attack when after one of them touched her. And really? you know they knew they had to have known.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And he, and he I was, went back he to was see explicit about it. After a couple of years, to thank him, and went into the office, and the office he'd given me as his office. I'd never actually seen him. They sent me the pill, the the the, the uh, uh, serum, and he came to the apartment in Manhattan to show me how to put it in. They'd never heard of him at the office. Okay. Oh wow! It was a doctor's office. They had no idea who he was.
1: Very suspicious. Very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, of that's... course
2: it is. I mean, yeah. somebody, somebody knew, somebody who was keeping a secret knew knew some things. Mm-hmm. But here's a great question: Why the United States? Why is it so prevalent here and not elsewhere in the world? And I think I've got some answers to that question. I think one of the things is that if you get a large group of close encounter witnesses together who are real ones and not people who've gone, you know, paranoid schizophrenics and stuff who get into this in the ass backwards way, uh, uh, you find a very gentle group of people, most of them pretty smart people, n- not heavily not PhDs and stuff, but people who are s- just smart. Some of them with college degrees, some of them without. But, and they're gentle. They're very gentle. And they're very social. They kind of stick together. When you get a big group of them together, no one wants to leave. It, it's, I've done this many times. And you, know, and you think, Annie used to say, you know, they're so sweet. And I thought to myself, these visitors are little bitty people. Of course, they got the gentlest people they could find to do this with, because they, you know, they didn't want they didn't want uh, people to tear their UFOs apart or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, they haven't I abducted noticed.
2: the rock. What? Yeah, they haven't abducted the rock. No, I don't think yeah. that's that was the plan. But yeah. you 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 see that, and then there's another thing that DNA trauma is projected down generations by dna and in the united states there are lots of people and families who have never had the experience of violence and warfare so it's a very large pool of dna that is not affected by violence and you know and i think that's who they they got i think Mm -hmm. that's who that's why they're here primarily here and another thing i know about them they love freedom. They are very, very aware of free will. Mm-hmm. And they are not going to interrupt free will uh, if, it, unless they have to. And, and that would be a reason that they were so secretive about what they were doing. They didn't want to, they didn't want to put us in a position where we're to- totally turned toward them and only interested in them. They didn't want to colonize us culturally. They wanted us to be free. Does that imply that they have a, a, a sense of free will in their own in, in their
0: own existence, or is it, or would is free will, will something they're intrigued by? Question.
2: My answer is, I it, they're too complicated. Some yeah. of them, I can't believe they could have free will, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah, are, are they maybe intrigued by our free will because it's novel to them?
2: I think that's quite possible. Yeah. Um, and yet the one on the cover of communion, the old lady, as Anne used to call her, um, was an independent being. I feel like maybe there's a hierarchy of complexity, that there are fully functional beings at kind of the top of their food chain, and then they have lesser lesser. Uh, Uh, versions of their own species you know not slaves so much as roboticized versions of themselves
1: you know in a conversation we had with Avi Loeb he brought up the idea that um, perhaps there was an maybe an uptick in activity was due to an AI visitor being fascinated by a sort of the the kind of fetal AI that's just burgeoning now I just
2: I don't know what. What do you think of well, that? That's what I John von Neumann thought. Uh, John von Neumann, uh, he was one of the scientists who first worked on this, and he was a cyberneticist and one of the one of the early pioneers of uh, quantum physics. And he conceived of the idea, an idea that he called the von Neumann machine, which used to be plain as day on the internet, but it's now a little harder to find. But um, this was a, a machine that was, would be a complete replica of a species, of all of their knowledge, all of their being, replicated in a machine that was then sent out into a galaxy to find places where it could reproduce that species. And he f- even figured out how long it would take it to circumnavigate the galaxy. And it's all kinds of stuff. And what if that's true? And it came here and found that this place was a place that would be congenial to the species and that it could enact that it could enact its program here but it had not been programmed to account for another species already being present on the planet. And it is here trying to figure out what to do. How had to, had to, had to cohabitate with us. <laughs> well, exactly. And that would maybe explain the little boy in the backyard because you know, you've got a, a conscious machine possessed of general intelligence on a high level, but it's yeah. not, the spark is missing. Mm-hmm. Something's uh, missing. It's not uh, quite them. Yeah. There's, I, I, I was going to say, I think there's a, it,
0: that calling you an experiencer is an inadequate term because it seems like you're not just having experiences. It seems like you've had this almost lifelong relationship. Yeah. With these beings. I have. Um, and, and
2: How you, in the world you, did that happened to me I just don't know yeah
0: and, but do you feel like are they still at this point uh in this relationship you're in oh yeah are, are they with but are they withholding things from you deliberately are they, are they i mean they're it doesn't feel like they're and all the time you've had these experience this interaction with them this relationship with them um they're conti- they continue to be obscuring
2: they are very good yeah. Giving me just enough information to where if I try, I can put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. Um and nothing more than that, and they do keep their own counsel for sure. Yeah.
0: Do um, you think that's uh like you know, you can't give a, a plant uh the water and a year's worth of water, you'll kill it.
2: I guess that's a good thought. Yeah, and that 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 means that, despite the incredibly annoying way how annoying this is, I might as well accept it. Mm-hmm. But they're you know they're working with me now on a new book, and uh, it's very indirect and very subtle, but it's mm-hmm. there, and I I notice it as best I can. I wish I could um, say I noticed all that mm-hmm. they give me, but I don't. I notice as much as I can.
0: Well, I, I know we're running out of time, but can you describe us a little bit how that in, how that collaboration works? Just, I mean, I, I know we are. Sure. It,
2: I think it uses the implant. Yeah. And um, I've already had the, in, this is a long story. I, I, I had the implant explained to me by a couple of guys who showed up here. Kit was interested in the implant and he wanted to, he he, he wanted a, 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 a CT scan of it. And, um, I think they were afraid that he would go from there to trying to convince me to get it taken out. I already had that. I did that. I tried that in 1994. It was put in my ear in 1989 at the old cabin and, um, by two people, not by aliens. Mm -hmm. Although I can't say there wasn't anything else in the room. And, um, in May of 1989 and, There was a big operation going because we heard the crunching of gravel in the driveway it was a shale driveway and no lights and so i was getting ready to go for my guns when these people came in and kind of overpowered me and uh the next thing i knew the next morning they they pushed me into the bed and i couldn't move or see anything and this thing was in my ear and there was no scar in other words it was not a surgery they it somehow got in through the skin Mm-hmm. and now oh, there's a big kerfuffle of course i was very upset and uh trying to figure out why the alarm hadn't gone off and everything and got the alarm guy over and weird stuff was discovered uh, strange high-powered magnetic fields that shouldn't have been there and things so um then in 1994 i tried to get it taken out and uh when the doctor touched it with it, opened it up and touched it with the edge of a scalpel it went down into my earlobe on its own and he pulled out because you know he was knew he was taking a cyst out of the ear of whitley Strieber, and he'd, he was aware of communion but then he, when that happened he fig- figured hell i'm dealing with an alien implant here i've I'm got that's not my job Wow. And it's able to just travel through flesh like that. It's right. Violent. And it's all on video. It's, the video wow. is on my website. So, you know, Ann took, a, we took a video and took a video of it while well, of the, of the operation. And so you can see her and, and and the nurse and, and him looking at it and describing it as a white disc. They could see it in there. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's there. Now years and years and years pass. I don't, it comes back up about three days later, it comes back up to here. Um, and years and years and years pass, Anne's passed away. And as soon as Anne passes away, a, 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 a kind of lens opens up in this eye, an a, a, a oblong square opens a slit. And I begin to see words in it going through very quickly like somebody typing at high speed with an old fashioned typewriter. And I, you know, I'm thinking, what the hell is this now? And the thing's turning on all the time. And then when I decided to I, get it CT scanned, these two, there came a knock at the door at four o'clock in the morning. It's a certain type of knock that I'm not going to repeat here. But it, it tells me that they are, it's them. And I've opened the door to them. I opened the door in any way, anyway. And these two guys come in, one of them was vaguely familiar to me, strangely enough, although I can't say quite why. Uh, and they say they want to explain it, implant it to me and why I shouldn't have it taken out. And I said, I wasn't thinking of getting it taken out. But or I didn't say that. I was going to say that, but I thought, no, I'm not going to say that. I want to hear what they have to say. So we talked, and uh, they were obviously very cognizant about the implant. And they said it had been invented by a man named Constantin Rodeve. And that it, the slit, what that was doing was drawing remembered information that was in my unconscious mind up toward my conscious mind, so that I could use it as a source of inspiration. And that they said it also will just, if you ask it questions, it's going to answer those questions in a number of ways that will seem to you like chance, but they're not chance, And you will find it's very consistent. And that's how it works. It works those two ways and it works very, very well. And it's a human construction. The technology. Well, here's the thing, Constantine Rodovay was an expert in electro-electronic voice, uh, where you where you t- take a tape recorder and and you you hear people talking on it, and they say that's the voices of the dead, mm-hmm. and he was a master. That was his profession and his mastery in life, but he's been dead since the 1970s. So if it was him who invented it, apparently invented it from the other side. Wow. <laughs> and and that gets into the depths of this thing because we're not, yeah. not only are we not alone here, our dead have b- play a big role in all of this. Wow. Well, this more than feels like a
1: to be continued. I mean, this is, a, we're dip, we've just barely yeah. dipped our toe, but we... Um, yeah,
0: that, that relationship to the dead would certainly be something we'd love to talk about. Yeah, a we new level, but it's
2: very important. And yeah, You know, to anyone who's listening to this, don't don't push this aside because it's not what you expect it to be. If we if what was happening with the visitors was what we expected, then it would be fake. But it's Mm -hmm. not fake. Mm -hmm. I am a truth teller from the depths of my soul.
1: And, uh, we're so grateful that you, uh, that you were here today. And it's been uh, just absolutely fascinating. Um, we would love to continue the conversation at some point. Well, I'm
2: sure we can at some point.
1: That's wonderful. Once I get
2: the new book finished, I'll be back out.
1: Wonderful. And just to remind you guys, the book is Them uh, by Whitley Strieber, author of 40 books, including the uh, extraordinary, uh, communion and, um, we're just really, really grateful to have had him here today on Really. Uh, thank you, sir. It was super fascinating, and um, we yeah. hope to do it again soon. Yes, yeah, such a well, such It a was privilege. really good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.